Insider subscribers, Coach Brian Clinton, fanatics, film breakdown lovers, that those two things go along with each other. Uh, s- people who are excited about the hires of Seth Luttrell and Joe John Finley as offensive coordinators. People who are confused about what's happened the last few days. <laughs> it's, there's a lot that's happened. This is the podcast for you. My name is Jesse Crittenden host of the Oklahoma Drill podcast is fueled by the Rivals Network and OUinsider.com. I am, of course, joined by my co-host, Sir Coach Esquire, Sir, again, Brian Clinton. Brian, how are you doing over there in Collinsville, America? Good, man. I've got a little bit of a head cold going on, but not too bad. Feeling, Feeling all right. That's it's that time of year, man. Like it was, yeah. it was, it felt warm outside yesterday, and now today it's all gloomy and cold yeah. and stuff. It, it's hard to imagine that like it's going to be December by the end of this week. Yeah, that doesn't compute yet. <laughs> I, I think that's part of where the head cold stuff comes from. Is like the weather keeps on going back and forth. Mm-hmm. I seem to remember as a kid that by November it was just really cold every day. Am I am I wrong about that? global warming man it's it's climate change <laughs> that's actually what we're going to talk about today not OU football we're going to talk 50 minutes about climate change um brian's there has been so much that has happened since the last time we spoke uh there was an OU football game where they beat tcu 69 to 45 that felt like that happened six years ago yeah at this point because since then brian oklahoma found out that uh, they are not going to be playing in the Big 12 title game uh, after Oklahoma State came away with an overtime victory over BYU that I left my family thing in Owasso early because BYU was up at halftime. And I was like, oh, shoot, okay, emergency pod. I need to be riding. I got to get home. And by the time I got home, Oklahoma State had had pulled away against BYU. Did you did you see that? I'm assuming you watched that. I watched game. Yeah, I watched it from getting to end. I mean, it, it was... It, Something else. I mean, I can't even put it into words. But again, even that feels like forever ago, even though that was a big deal for Oklahoma not to make the Big 12 title game uh, because Jeff Levy's gone. Brian, I don't know if you heard the news. Jeff Levy's. What? Jeff Levy is not. <laughs> yeah, sorry. I didn't mean to break that to you. <laughs> Jeff Levy's gone as OU off, OU's offensive coordinator after two seasons. He is now the head coach at Mississippi State. By Sunday night, he had been introduced or he had landed in Starkville to a parade uh, similar to, you know, Brent Venables arriving in Norman a couple of years ago. By Monday night, he had officially he had officially had his press conference. And then by Tuesday night, Brian, Oklahoma officially promoted Seth Luttrell as offensive coordinator and they elevated Joe John Finley as co-offensive coordinator. And this is pretty interesting because obviously Seth Luttrell 
uh, was hired as, a, as an offensive analyst at OU back in the spring. Joe John Finley has been the tight ends coach uh, for three seasons. Um, the way everything seems, Brian Seth Luttrell is going to come in kind of as the as the director, as the play caller and a quarterback's coach. And Joe John Finley is going to see an elevated role in offensive game planning game management, things like that. But Brian, I, this has all happened so fast, but I think it's for one, it's good to point out that I think this is kind of where this was heading. It was heading with Seth Luttrell and Joe John Finley, both being promoted basically. Um, but there's been so much that's happened in it, you know, in, in the last few days, I think the place to start Brian is uh, we're going to talk about Jeff Levy and, and everything in a little bit, but you know, what can fans expect from Seth Luttrell calling plays? I mean, he has experience as an offensive coordinator at Arizona, at Indiana, uh, at North Carolina. Uh, he was involved in the offense while at North Texas as the head coach for seven seasons. Um, there, there's a lot of, there's a lot of data to sift through. I wrote a story uh, over at OUinsider.com uh, kind of digging into numbers. You did a film breakdown of Seth Luttrell over at OU Insider's YouTube channel. Take it away as much as wherever you want to take it. Broad look. What can fans expect from Seth Luttrell's tenure as offensive coordinator and play caller? So I'm gonna I'm gonna use a metaphor here. Um coaching trees. I think a tree is a really good way of of putting that because your the roots, um, if you look to the roots and you see where Luttrell has come from. You, you'll see where he's gone or where he's going as a as a play caller, and uh, his mentors are Mark Mangino, Mike Leach, Kevin Wilson, and Larry Fedora. Over you know the span of time that he was a he was a play caller, that's that's who we learned under. So the air raid roots are there. Um, he comes from that same tree uh, that we see most of what college football's passing game looks like now it all originated from, from the air raid. Um, we saw the rise of spread offenses over that time, making defenses cover every inch of, of the field. Um, those same concepts are still going to be something you see from, from uh, Seth Luttrell. Now I will say during his time, um, you know, at North Carolina and, and then even whenever he was running, you know, that just the head coach at North, at North Texas, there was, a good dose of 12 personnel. They like to have two tight ends on the field. Um, there's still some RPO concepts that are going to be run. Look, long story short, what you saw from Jeff Levy, there are still going to be lots of things used uh, that, that we saw from Levy's system. There's still going to be times where Oklahoma wants to use a little bit of tempo to keep the defense off off kilter, um, you know, going whenever you're able to keep the same personnel out on the field and not give the defense chances to uh, sub guys in, you know, obviously you can keep hitting on uh, matchups that you like by doing that. The run game is going to be a power run game of some sort. I still imagine that there's going to be zone. Um, there's still going to be pin pull concepts. You're still going to see a lot of things uh, with, with that, but, my hope and what I believe will happen is the basis of this offense being surrounding RPOs is, is going to draw back a little bit. I think you're going to see more designed runs. It's going to be more of a, more of a split uh, whenever it comes to run or pass. 
Um, again, you'll still see RPOs because everybody runs them now. Everybody does it. I just don't think it's going to be as much. They're not going to be as fluent in it. It's not going to be something that they're doing on each and every play. Uh, and so like that, don't like that. That's personal preference. I, I personally think when an offensive line knows that it can come off the ball and, and drive guys off the ball and not have to worry about being too far downfield, I think that it helps in the run game. Uh, so, so that'll help, but you're still going to see play action. You're still going to see deep shots down the field. Um, this is still going to be an offense that, that likes to spread things out um, and run the ball in those, in those wider uh, gaps because the defense is spread out, but uh, toughness, grit, those are the kinds of things that you hear about Seth Luttrell. So going into the SEC, I think it really aligns well with, with what Brent Venables is trying to build and, and the program he's trying to build on the backs of, uh, of of the kids that he's gotten there um it's going to be toughness it's going to be determination it's going to be lining up and beating the guy in front of you um that's what Seth Latrell's always been about he's a fullback at the end of the day that's what he played <laughs> in college so i think that kind of shows through in his play calling and uh I, i'm here for it i just you there's a lot of good stuff there brian and i probably should have mentioned and you kind of touched on it there there are going to there are going to be some similarities some similarities with with the offense ou ran under jeff levy and i think there's a lot more connections than that too i mean obviously jeff levy uh ou this is his alma mater he has playing experience here so does seth luttrell obviously he was a team captain uh, for the OU team that won the national title in 2000. Um, obviously, Joe John Finley <laughs> also played at OU. Um, to me, when, when you kind of take all of that into consideration and then also some of the similarities in this in, in their offenses, uh, to me, it's pretty clear that that Brent, want, Brent Venables wanted consistency. He wanted continuity. And not that he's gonna everything's gonna be the same thing as you just mentioned. Not every part of the offense is gonna be the same, but to me, both the connections to the program and the way they like to run offenses, um, I think there's obvious continuity there. And I think he I think that he did prioritize that with uh, not only the the comfort of the players currently on the roster, and I think all of this starts and ends with Jackson Arnold, right? Yeah. That's that is yeah. what it's all about is making him happy. But also moving into the SEC made this not a normal coaching change and i think it did make continuity more of a focus but brian that's i was going through the numbers i mean you even look at jeff levy's offense this last season i mean it was i mean they're third in the country in in points per game OU was during the regular season 10th in yards per game they're at the top of every category in terms of explosive plays i mean plays of 10 yards or more 20 yards or more 30 yards or more when you look at seth latrell's offenses a lot of that a lot of that is the same. I mean, I, I, in my story, you know, I took a look at probably what were the three best offenses of his, of his tenure, 2013 at Indiana, 2015 at North Carolina, 2017 at North Texas. I mean, across the board, explosiveness, explosive plays, total yards, uh, you know, points per game. I mean, that, that North Carolina team in 2015 in particular, I mean, they averaged 41 points per game. They were fourth in the country mm. in plays of 20 yards or more. 95 plays of 20 yards or more. Um, I think you're, and those are similar. Those things are similar, uh, you know, and also, you know, kind of the time of possession. I know you looked at my story last night, time of possession. I think historically Seth Luttrell's offenses haven't controlled uh, the, the, 
the pay or not control the pace. They haven't controlled the time of possession. They haven't won the time of possession battle, which kind of goes back and forth. I think mm-hmm. time of possession has become one of those things that don't, it's not necessarily a, a natural barometer of valuing success, but you know, going through some of those numbers too, Brian, I mean, there are, you know, there's been, he's had teams that ranked 122nd in time of possession, 128th, 127th. The thing that seems the most different to me, Brian, is like you mentioned, Jeff Levy historically has relied a little bit more on the running game, where Seth Luttrell historically has relied a little bit more on the passing game. Mm-hmm. But does it so? But uh, those last three years at North Texas, they did run the ball a little bit more than they passed. So I guess f- turning it back to you, I think when you have Jackson Arnold, you mentioned maybe the decrease in RPOs, things like that. Mm-hmm. Do you do you think we'll see a little bit more of an air raid pass first kind of mindset with Jackson Arnold, or do you do do you rely a little bit more on the power running game with someone like Gavin Sawchuk? Not to mention Jackson Arnold can run the ball as a quarterback. W- what do you see from that dynamic? So I think a lot of that's probably going to come down to personnel because I think throughout his uh, throughout his time uh, in charge of offenses you have seen him do a really good job. And this is something that, that Jeff Levy was really good at was, was picking on mismatches, taking matchups that you like and really hammering those home. And so, you know, I, I, it was really interesting. I was kind of diving through some, some old interviews of his back at his time during, uh, or back during his time at, at Indiana under Kevin Wilson and, and some things whenever he was, under Larry Fedora. And one of the, one of the quotes from him that really stuck out to me was somebody asked him about uh, how he, how he maintains balance as a play caller. How do you maintain balance? And his, his intro, it was a really interesting answer. He said that, you know, he didn't feel like a balanced offense was necessarily a 50% run, 50% pass, but it was more, having explosive plays through the passing game and having successful plays in the running game. And if you have 70 or so plays a game that are successful in those two, in those two instances, then that was true uh, balance to him. So I thought that was an interesting answer. Now I will say that, uh, you know, I think as, as he progressed as a coach and, and over the years, just learned more and more, um, you know, as you said, those last three years at, at North Texas, he did run the ball more. Um, I think that defenses over the time that he ha- has been a play caller uh, have changed. Obviously they ebb and flow offense, offense obviously evolves and defense catches up. That's just how football goes over the years. And so I think that there there's going to be opportunities in both, but I would say with the air raid background that he has, it's probably going to be closer to maybe what we saw uh, with with Lincoln Riley in town as far as run to pass. I think Lincoln was a little closer to fifty percent there than than Levy was. Levy was was definitely a little stronger on the run, so that'll be interesting. Um, having having Joe John Finley, that's that's kind of something that I I wanted to throw back towards you. Um, the the having having a guy that has obviously been in Oklahoma for three years, familiar with the, with the personnel, uh, obviously very familiar with what Jeff Levy did, um, be, coming over here from coming over to Oklahoma from Ole Miss, having somebody like that, that knows the terminology the way that he does and can help, can help, uh, Seth Luttrell, you know, transfer things over in the right terminology. Does that, 
just help Oklahoma? Like, do you expect there to be less speed bumps, I guess, for, for, for those younger guys going into next year because they, because they elevated uh, Joe John Finley or, or, or do you think that there's, there's still going to be a learning curve for these guys? I'm I'm glad you mentioned Joe John Finley because I think that it is it's easy to, it's easy to get him being elevated to co-offensive coordinator. I think that's easy for that to get lost when you hear Seth Luttrell is the offensive coordinator and the play caller, quarterbacks coach, all that stuff. I think Joe John Finley getting elevated I think adds to the idea that Brent Venables wanted continuity. Because I, you know Brent Venables did his due diligence. He saw everything that we saw. It's not it's, the statistics between Jeff Levy's offenses and and Seth Luttrell's really aren't that different. Time of possession is very similar. Plays per game is very similar. Um, explosive plays is very similar. Um, but they're not the same. They're not the same thing. We've talked about some of the differences. So to me, I think it's like taking Seth Luttrell some of the similarities in the way he runs offenses, but maybe with some tweaks, Mm -hmm. right? Some, some, some differences. And then I think adding Joe John as a co-offensive coordinator, I think absolutely. I think it, it, it adds that it adds that continuity because Joe John, obviously the last two years has worked with Jeff Levy. Um, uh, His tight ends had success under, under, under Jeff Levy. Um, you know, obviously Braden Willis a couple of seasons ago mm-hmm. um, to me. Yeah. I, and, and when we talk about continuity and comfort, I think that absolutely starts with not only Jackson Arnold, but the rest of the roster to me, this makes sense that they want to bring, they want to bring in a play caller with some similarities. Then you add Jeff Le- or then you add Joe John Finley as to, to kind of cement that yeah. I think and to make things easier for the younger guys um, to me, I think that could be where Joe John Finley is most, uh, useful is taking Seth Luttrell's play or some of some of his differences in the system and molding them into easily understandable things yep. for the rest of the roster. I mean, that's, that's the way I see it. I think we're going to learn more when we inevitably talk to both these guys before the bowl game. But to me, Joe John, I think all of this is to say, I think OU likes the offensive infrastructure they've built the last two seasons. Agreed. There, there are criticisms about Jeff Levy, and some of them are genuinely warranted. Late game play calling, uh, situational football, complimentary football, all that stuff. But to me, this is a signal of they like the infrastructure there. Yeah. They like the blueprint there. And Joe John is there because he has experience in it. He can help with the players on the roster. And Seth Luttrell is coming in as somebody with some similarities and maybe some much needed differences. Yes. That's the way I see it. No, I agree a hundred percent. Like I'm excited about the philosophical changes of going for, and this may sound small, but going from a focus on tempo, I I don't want to call it gimmicky because that doesn't, that's not the right word, but I, I you see a lot less tempo oriented offense in the SEC. It's not it's not as it's not as prevalent as it is in the Big Twelve, but you still see good offenses. I mean, look what LSU is doing. What Alabama has become since they started out slow this year. Um, good offenses are still predicated on power run games and, and good play action uh, played off of those in the SEC. And I think that Seth Luttrell he fits that really well. Um, and, and with what Bill Biedenboe likes to do 
things have looked a little different with Bill Beanbow's offensive line the last couple of years. I don't know mm-hmm. if that was a, I don't know again, if that was a change from what they uh, were doing beforehand, but I, I do think uh, knowing that those two guys are, are somewhat familiar with each other. I, I do think that this is, this is a good thing uh, and, and should be a good marriage as far as the, the offensive philosophy goes. This episode of the Oklahoma Drill Podcast is brought to you in part by Prize Picks. Prize Picks is the largest daily fantasy sports platform in North America. It's the easiest and most exciting way to play DFS because it's just you against the numbers. So instead of battling thousands of other players, including pros and sharks, you pick more than or less than on two to six player stat projections and watch the winnings roll in. This weekend, folks, I'm a big Buccaneers fan. You know I got to roll with my boy Baker Mayfield, the former Sooner. They're up against the Panthers. The Panthers are terrible. I like Mayfield to end up with more than his projected points total. So you can play my entry or an entry of your own at Prize Picks. Testing your skills on Prize Picks this season is the most exciting way to play daily fantasy sports because if you have the skills, you can turn $10 into $250 with just a few taps. Prize Picks even offers a reboot policy so that your entries stay in play even if one of your players gets injured. For football and basketball games, if you have a player who exits the game in the first half and does not return in the second, that player is rebooted. Prize Picks is the only daily fantasy sports platform with an injury insurance policy. So go to prizepicks.com insider and use code insider for a first deposit match up to $100. Again, prizepicks.com insider and use code insider for a first deposit match up to $100. Prize Picks, daily fantasy sports made easy. This episode of the Oklahoma Drill Podcast is brought to you in part by Manscaped. Merry Ballsmas from our friends over at Manscaped. The holiday season is approaching and the perfect gift does exist. Who else to bring it down your chimney than the leaders in below the waist grooming? Keep calm and let your balls jingle this season with Manscaped's brand new Performance Package 5.0 Ultra. Included in this special sack is the Lawnmower 5.0 Ultra, the Weed Whacker 2.0 Ear and Nose Trimmer, and Manscaped's Liquid Formulations. The gift of Manscaped doesn't stop there either. This bundle comes with two free gifts, Manscaped's Boxers 2.0 Premium Underwear and the Shed 2.0 Toiletry Bag. Look nice when you're going naughty by going to manscaped.com and use code OUINSIDER for 20% off and free shipping. Unwrap the gift of smoothness this season with Manscaped. That's 20% off and free shipping with the code OUINSIDER at manscaped.com. 20% off, free shipping when you go to manscaped.com and use code OUINSIDER. Manscaped, get your jingle balls ready for the holidays. Yeah, and I think, again, it'll be interesting to hear Joe John speak specifically because I think it's going to be interesting to dive into what exactly his day-to-day role mm-hmm. is going to be. But to me, it just makes sense, his his experience with, with coaching alongside Levy. And to me, that like... And, and I think it's also worth pointing out that that while Seth Luttrell's offenses have had incredible quarterbacks, I mean, you think about Nick Foles in 2011. I mean, he led the Pac-12 in total offense. Obviously, Mason Fine, people from around Oklahoma will remember Mason Fine and what he was doing at North Texas, uh, graduating as the all-time program leader and passing touchdowns and passer efficiency and yards and completions. I mean, he was absolutely insane there for a couple of years. I do think it's also important to know, like we said earlier, that I think we've seen that Seth Luttrell is malleable. He's not committed to one thing specifically. And while I think it's hard to complain too much about OU's offense the last two years, especially this year with the numbers they put up. But I think it was pretty clear that come hell or high water, this offense was going to be based around RPOs. And we've seen even before the last three seasons at North Texas, I mean, North Carolina, they ran the ball in 2015. They ran the ball more than they passed. 
Um, we saw that. I mean, even nor I mean, we've we've. I think that maybe that added flexibility is going to be good too. And yeah, you're heading into in, into a new conference where it's just going to be different. The styles of defense you're going to play or that you're going to see. Um, the caliber of athletes, the build of the athletes, opposing coaching staffs. I think it's, I, to me, it's, again, it's almost taking that infrastructure OU has and then tweaking it, mm-hmm. which to me moves in kind of to an interesting discussion that Parker and I kind of talked about uh, on Tuesday um, before the hires were made official or the Lachelle and Joe John Finley hires were official, which is, I think talking about Jeff Levy's now, legacy is too strong of a word, but how fans should feel about his tenure at OU. Um, it's it's weird because, again, the numbers that the OU's offense has put up this year, it's hard to do much better than they did. And there mm-hmm. were, I mean, the TCU game, again, that happened, feel like it happened five years ago. That TCU game was incredible offense. It just was. West Virginia, incredible offense. Texas, that game-winning drive, incredible offense. But whether it's some of the weird off-the-field stuff earlier in the year i i still think it's weird that we never got a full explanation as to why jeff levy and tef root ted roof's press conferences were canceled mm-hmm. midway through the year why their weekly press conferences were canceled and then with the way he's left is also an interesting discussion but also it's clear that with hiring latrell and joe john finley that they do want to continue some of the things that have already been built so i guess for fans that maybe don't know how to feel or different ways to feel where, what do you think Jeff Levy, what do you, what's your takeaway from the last two years of Jeff Levy? It's an interesting question, right? Yeah, it is. Um, I think the first thing to to point out and to recognize is following the, following the success that Lincoln Riley had as an offensive play caller here is an impossible situation for anyone. The sustained success that Lincoln Riley's offenses had over the the five years before Jeff Levy came in here and into Norman, it was just unheard of. That's They were historic. If you look back at some of the numbers, it was just incredible what he was able to do with different quarterbacks over the time that he was here. But I will say, philosophy-wise, what, what Jeff Levy did was successful. The numbers speak for themselves. I think the problem with that is the inconsistency in big moments, the inconsistency on the road from this team offensively. Um, there were, it just felt as if there were moments during his time in Oklahoma where he almost refused to, to just do the things that worked. I, I just talking with a lot of people, I kept hearing the same comment about, you know, he gets too cute. Like that was most people's, most people's uh, hang up with him with Jeff Levy was that he just, he gets too cute there. He doesn't do the things that they point back to the, to the, you need one first down against Kansas. You win that football game. That's, that's one that, that we hear a lot. And, and it's the truth. I mean, there, there are times where, you just sit back and wonder why why are things called the way that they are? What what what's the thought process behind that? And I, I think that's probably more or less you just have to realize he's not he's not that experienced of a play caller. I mean, I think yeah. it's pretty clear that Lane Kiffin was calling the plays despite him being the offensive coordinator there uh before he came to Oklahoma. 
Ole Miss's offense has continued to hum as as uh, as Lane Kiffin's stuck around and, and has continued to call plays there. So I think you're seeing the first couple of years of a guy really having full reign of an offense. Uh, and think about it. He he was under Lane Kiffin, and who was he under before that? He was under Josh Heupel. So like yeah. these are two guys that that are career play callers. It's a little different. Um, overall successful. I mean, you can look at his tenure and say successful, but I think the combination of him following Lincoln Riley and the Art Bryles situation that seemed to tick off some of the fan base, and then you add to that the inconsistencies over the last two seasons that clearly cost Oklahoma some games, um, I think it kind of just becomes a wash. And I don't, I hate to call his time in Oklahoma a footnote, but that's kind of what it's going to end up being. That's, that's a really interesting way to put it because I think in some ways OU doesn't make this hire of Seth Luttrell and Joe John Finley without feeling confident about the way they've built yes. the offense last two years. Right. At the same time, you're right. I mean, I think it's so weird to, it's so weird to criticize an offense that put up the numbers that, that OU did this year. Right. I mean, again, they yeah. scored 43 points per game. It is weird. I mean, even I think there were just moments where there were uh, unacceptable mistakes. I mean, I even look at Oklahoma state and Kansas, both of those games, um, forgive me. I saw a few different, I was going through the numbers for this column I was writing and, uh, forgive me. I can't remember exactly where the sources were from. Uh, but there were a couple of sites that I looked at that actually do a, a post game win expectancy stat mm-hmm. where it takes the stats for both teams and calculates it into a percentage about what team, if you were to play the game again with the same stats, who would win the game? OU, I think, was given a 69% chance to win the Oklahoma State game and a 64% chance to win the Kansas game. So basically that saying that given the stats that both teams put up, OU should have won both those games. Mm -hmm. I think part of that is, again, some of the offensive issues, particularly in the second half of both games. I mean, I even did a breakdown of um, the drives that OU had in the second half against Kansas. It's just... Yeah, I think it was. I think when it was good, it was when it was great, it was That's, great, and when it was yep. bad, it was bad. Correct. And I think what OU is trying to do now is take the good from the last couple of years and make it more consistent with some tweaks to maybe help salvage some of that consistency, some of the late game issues, and maybe getting an experienced play caller like Seth Luttrell helps in that regard. Maybe maybe it does. Yeah, I think if you if you took Brent Venables, set him down and gave us some truth serum. He would, if you said, all right, this is how good it was at, at its best. And this is how bad it was at its worst. If you drop this and bring this up to here and you're staying in this area where it's, where it's more consistent, he's going to say, yeah, I'll take a less explosive offense for a more consistent offense because more right. consistency, obviously is going to give you more, more of an opportunity to win. So I, I really, I think that's what you do get and the congruence keeping the guys that they have in house. Um, you know, as you said, when it was really, really good, I mean, it was good, but the small few times that it was bad, I mean, it cost Oklahoma. So good, good, good way of putting it for sure. It's going to be interesting to see how he does at Mississippi state. I mean, this is a huge job Mm. that Jeff Levy's taking on. I think, you know, trying to take away a fan perspective, obviously fans, I think rightfully are going to have conflicted weird feelings about Levy's tenure and the way he left and all that stuff. Just objectively speaking, 
this is a huge job. He's taking, he's, he's making his first jump as a head coach to a team in the bottom of the sec, Mm -hmm. a team that just finished five and seven, um, a team that over the last five years, I mean, again, six and seven, four and seven, seven, six, nine and four, two seasons ago with, uh, with Mike Leach rest in peace. And then this, this past season, that was a struggle. I think it's going to be interesting to, to, to take a guy that just had his first two years as an offensive coordinator and put him as the head coach of a team that's struggling to compete in the sec. That's it. That's a huge job. I, the odds are kind of stacked against him. It's going to be interesting to see what he can do there. Let me, let me phrase it to you this way. Let me ask you this. When you're looking at the sec, not from top down, but from bottom up, it's Vanderbilt at the very bottom right now. Yeah. Mississippi state's probably next after. Yeah. And then after Mississippi state, is it, is it South Carolina? Is it Arkansas? Whichever one those are. My point being the gap between Vanderbilt, Mississippi state, and then whoever that next school is, is wide. There's a big gap between Mississippi state and whoever that next school is just as far as uh, just as far as, as prestige. But the the problem is I think Mississippi state being in, in the sec West with Alabama, with Mississippi or with Ole Miss uh, with LSU, with Texas A&M, the expectations there are not going to be go nine and three, but they are going to be to go bowling. I mean, yeah. this is a, this is a yeah. fan base that wants to go. Well, they just fired their head coach for going five and seven. So Jeff Levy is walking into a hornet's nest. I mean, mm-hmm. a, a hornet's nest filled with cowbells at that. And it's, it's going to be, it's a tough job. That's a really, really hard job. I mean, at least at Vanderbilt, if you go three and nine or two and 10, like, well, we're Vanderbilt. Like, you know, you can yeah. try it again next year. This, he's not going to get that at, at at Mississippi State, and so it was an interesting decision. I mean, it was it was it was something that kind of left me scratching my head as to you know was he is he really taking this job and and he's he's got an, a cabinet full of of offensive playmakers going into the SEC. Why not wait and see how things play out? Maybe the Florida job comes open. Maybe something else down the road comes open. Uh, that he can go and take, but I don't know. It felt kind of like a settling situation. Um, what What did you think? Brian, that kind of adds into what we were talking about off screen a little bit, which is just that the, the vibes <laughs> to use a, to use a young person's term, uh, the vibes just started to feel weird going into that TCU game. I mean, they did uh, the, the buzz around Jeff Levy leaving specifically from Mississippi state started to grow 24 to 48 hours before that TCU game. Then OU put up its best performance of the season or probably offensive performance of the season in a game that like there wasn't really literally anything to criticize about the offense. Even when the offense was at its, was at its best at times, there were still weird play call decisions or weird personnel decisions. There was none of that. The, the offense just got steamlined and then, or where wh- it was steamlined, it looked good. Then after the game, he not only didn't shoot down the Mississippi state question, he basically ignored, he, he read between the lines. He basically acknowledged that he was interested in the job. Mm-hmm. And then for him to, I think for him to leave and the way he did the way he left so quickly, um, 
didn't really put out a statement. I mean, by the time people had time to process the news, he was in Starkville. Yep. And a move that I, I'm hesitant to even say this. It kind of felt like Lincoln Riley a little bit, a little bit. Now that's a big thing to say. And let me preface by saying it is the circumstances are not the same, but it's more about Jeff Levy was just gone by Sunday night, less than 48 hours after OUTCU. He's gone. He's gone being introduced as the head coach after the vibes had been a little weird, not only all season, but a couple of days before that TCU game. So I'm not comparing him to Lincoln Riley at all. It's just the the speed at which it happened yes. made me feel that way. Is that completely off? No, no, not at all. I mean, you know, this wasn't an instance where, you know, you have a weird dentist appointment in the middle of the year and, and then you got people tracking your flights and it wasn't like that, but I <laughs> yeah. do, I agree. The, the speed, the tempo with which he left was yeah i mean it was surprising and as you said there wasn't like this you know brent venables put out the statement about um you know congratulating him and thanking him for what he did um it just i don't know i don't want to call it cookie cutter but it just yeah it was just it was just a different it was a different feel so um but you know i wish him the best of luck i hope that he does I, i mean i really am pulling for him uh, to, to have success down there. I, I think that it's a tough job. Uh, he certainly is one of the better offensive minds in the, in the country. And so I think they went back to their roots. Uh, Zach Arnett didn't work out having a defensive minded coach didn't work out, but Mike Leach worked out before that. Um, mm-hmm. Dan Mullen before him had success there. So, uh, maybe an offensive guy is what they need. Want to make it clear real quick as we end this conversation that I am not saying, Jeff Levy and Lincoln Riley are the same person. I'm not saying that <laughs> at all. I'm not saying the Get circumstances. <laughs> <laughs> not saying the circumstances are the same. It's just it happened really quickly. And like you mentioned, I mean, he he didn't really address OU publicly until 24 after 24 hours after the news broke, after the parade, after the press conference the following day. Everything just just felt a little odd, but mm. look, I think OU feels good about what they've done at offensive coordinator. I think they feel that this is the perfect mix of continuity with some, maybe with a breath of fresh air moving into the sec, but there's no doubt that this was a huge hire for Brent Venables. They, they are, this is risky either way. I mean, Seth Luttrell has experience obviously, um, but Joe John Finley's never been an offensive coordinator. And there were guys outside the program that, they could have looked at and brought in guys with even more experience than Seth Luttrell. There's, there's a risk either way, but this is a huge move for Jeff Levy to leave for OU to do this move with Seth Luttrell. This is a huge change. Even if some of the similarities be- that we've talked about, this is a huge thing going into your first year of the sec. Yep. And so there's a, there's a lot, a lot to look at here, but again, not saying Jeff Levy and Lincoln Riley are the same. Okay. I, I've said that enough. Brian, I think this weekend is going to be interesting because obviously Oklahoma is outside the Big 12 title game. Mm-hmm. It's Texas and Oklahoma State. Oklahoma State, just the roach that uh, just stays alive. When you think they're dead, they, <laughs> when you think they're dead, they're they are they are back and and alive. Um, but I mean, obviously kudos to Oklahoma state who had a couple of moments where it looked like their season was over. I mean, honestly, kudos to them. Um, 
Oklahoma State, Texas is an interesting game. I think one thing that I've seen a lot is if you're an Oklahoma fan, who are you are you do you have a rooting outcome? Are you hoping one thing happens over another? Is there any outcome that is better for OU than another outcome? Or is it just kind of a, well, your two biggest rivals are in the Big 12 title game. I don't really care who wins. So Oklahoma State winning 100% locks out the chances of Oklahoma getting into a New Year's Six Bowl. Like 100%. If if that happens, uh, Oklahoma State takes one of those spots. Texas is still likely... uh, as ridiculous as it seems, probably still ahead of Oklahoma in some way, shape, or form, and is still up for a New Year's Six Bowl. Um, it just it would be it would be really weird uh, to see how that all played out. So I, I guess you could say you hope that Texas wins if you're an Oklahoma fan, just so the the odds of you maybe making a New Year's Six are a little bit better. Um, I don't know. I, it's going to be hard for for a lot of uh, for a lot of Oklahoma fans to to turn the TV on at eleven o'clock on on Saturday and watch that one. I will say, and I don't know if you've experienced this or not. Maybe it's just where I'm from or the people that I'm around. But I I'll say that since definitely since the 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 Sooners and, and Longhorns have have decided to leave the Big Twelve, it feels as if those wagons being hitched together has kind of maybe I don't want to say softened the rivalry because that's not what's happened, but I, I think there's less disdain for Texas at this point than there is for Oklahoma state, if that makes sense. Yeah. And maybe, maybe yeah. I'm the only one hearing or feeling that, but it certainly feels like uh, most of, of Oklahoma, uh, most of Oklahoma's fan base would be pulling for Texas if there wasn't anything on the line in this game. So um I don't know. I mean, that's just how I see it from my perspective. Maybe, maybe I'm wrong. No, I agree with you. I mean, I think the, the OU Texas rivalry is going to live on in the SEC. But yeah, the fact that they made this decision together, they are kind of attached at the hip almost just by definition. I think it would be a little hard to to swallow if if Oklahoma State wins the Big Twelve and also won Bedlam on OU's way out the door. I think that's. Which look, you'll get over that. That's not that big of a deal, but I do think that would that would hurt a little bit. I think if you're an Oklahoma fan, yeah, because yeah, Oklahoma, you know, Oklahoma State already has the last bedlam thing, which Oklahoma's dominated the series, so maybe it doesn't matter. Um, but the main important thing of all this, despite even the fan angles, is you mentioned it: the bowl game. Oklahoma still has a bowl game to play, and I think the bowl game, which we could talk a lot about, what the playoff has done to bowls, has it made some of them irrelevant? I kind of hate that discussion uh this bowl game is whatever bowl game OU makes is going to be important because they're likely going to be playing a a good to or a decent to good FBS power five opponent and now you've got this is going to be Seth Luttrell and Joe John Finley's first uh time as a as a play caller but Brian I know you did a huge deep dive on where OU could land. And it is a little dependent on everything that happens this weekend, not only just in the OSU Texas game, but all the conference title games. The one that it seems to be most commonly projected is OU returning to the Alamo bowl. Like they were there in in 2021 and playing a top 15 ranked Arizona team. Is that the most likely scenario you think? I mean, like on Sunday, that's where OU is going to be announced. Are there other I mean, is the Fiesta Bowl is something else at play here, depending on what goes on this weekend? Yeah, I think it's pretty widely 
it's pretty consensus right now that that's the most likely outcome is OU Arizona. And I learned yesterday, apparently, so the way that bowls, the way that the bowl committee select their, their teams, I was unaware that there is a rule, a one game rule in the PAC 12 where if there is a games gap, more than one game gap between uh, a team that is available and maybe a lower team, a lower ranked team that that the bowl wants to go and get, they can't do that. It has to be one game. So USC being two games below Arizona in the standings means they can't they can't take USC if Arizona is available for that game. So I think at this point, unless Arizona was to go to the to the Holiday Bowl and and some different things matched up usc didn't do well enough to be in a bowl game with oklahoma uh this season so you know a lot of people were hoping for that um i thought it was a possibility i guess it's not that is that's the most likely outcome i i will say don't count oklahoma out on a new year six bowl just yet um i kind of expect and maybe maybe this is just wishful thinking I expect there to be some pretty decent shakeup this week in in the rankings. Um, It just feels as if anytime Oklahoma or anytime that Texas gets better, Oklahoma obviously is going to be a benefit, a a benefactor of that. Um, And and I also think there's a chance that, that Tulane doesn't win the American. If SMU was to win the American, even without Preston stone, I think, I think SMU is only a three and a half point dog in that game. That, gives Oklahoma potentially another team that jumped into the top 25 that they have a win over and an impressive win over. So uh, there are some things that could still shake out the teams you have to pay attention to, uh, or, or Oklahoma has to beat out to get into one of those new year six bowls is Missouri, Ole Miss and Penn state. Those are the 10 and two teams that you're kind of stuck with. They're all in a group right now. Um, and you have to out, you have to, you have to go, uh, past one of those, Oklahoma's prestige and its brand, I I think makes that an interesting conversation though, because they are in the top twelve. There's an opportunity there. It's just going to be a matter of does the committee see them fit, uh, which is interesting because Oklahoma's win over Texas is significantly better than any of those other teams that they have. The problem is Oklahoma's losses are to teams that are are on a different planet than than the teams that have beaten uh Penn State and and uh Ole Miss. The, this is the whole discussion of the reason why we're even talking about this is as you alluded to I mean Oklahoma came in 12th in the college football playoff rankings on on Tuesday which I think is I think it's pretty surprising to be ranked behind all of Missouri, Penn State, and Mississippi in terms of that group of 10 and 2 mm-hmm. teams. That's pretty interesting to me because even after those rankings came out, all of these advanced rankings and different ways of evaluating teams started coming out. And most of them had Oklahoma above most, if not all of them. Yes. And Oklahoma is an interesting team to evaluate in terms of, yeah, they have a win against a team that's seventh that might win the Big 12. They're, I mean, one of their two losses is against an 18th rank Oklahoma State team that is playing in the Big 12 title game. I think it's really because that that Kansas loss doesn't yep. look great now, um, and that's part of it. But I, I honestly, Brian, hate the discussion around. I, I honestly think it's a good thing 
to be moving to a 12 team playoff for I'm not, it's not perfect, but I think it's good because for one, I think you eliminate discussions like this and I'm already tired of the, well, if Alabama beats Georgia and Texas beats Oklahoma state who gets, mm-hmm. you know, and, and other stuff shakes out. I mean, what if Oregon loses or whatever, um, does Texas get the nod over Alabama? I hate discussions like that. Yeah. I really do. I know that's part of why college football is fun, but to me, it's like, what's the point of Texas beating Correct. Alabama? I, I can't stand what's that. What's the point of it? Yeah. There's no incentive to schedule hard non-conference teams. Right. If you're gonna ha- if you're gonna put I know that would mean Alabama beat Georgia, but if that if that game in September doesn't matter, then why schedule it? Why schedule it? Yeah. It doesn't make any sense. And yeah, I don't care about Alabama being a better team than they were in September. That does that they had a chance to beat them in Alabama and mm-hmm. didn't I, I don't how else like I think we make things too complicated sometimes agreed yeah I think we we make things too complicated and also I am dying for a playoff system that is less that is less about subjectivity which because I mean to me you even look at Oklahoma's part in the rankings I think you could make an argument they deserve to be over literally all of those other 10 and two teams yeah I'm not saying that's a 100% airtight argument but you could make that Mm-hmm. I, I think that it's, I just think by this time of year, the discussion becomes so weird and I hate that it's so subjective and everybody has different biases. I, I don't know. It should it's be met. It should, there should be more like uh, the BCS wasn't perfect, but it got it right more often than not because of the numbers. So like yeah. I, I, there needs to be, we've gone too far to subjectivity, not enough objectivity. Yeah. Like for example, why in the hell is Oregon ranked above Texas? I'm not, a, you know, this is an Oklahoma podcast. I understand. Why is Oregon <laughs> ranked above Texas when they both played Texas Tech? Texas Tech held on with Oregon. The score was 38 to 30. Oregon won. Texas just beat the Red Raiders 57 to 7. Yeah. And then when they were asked about that, when Boo Corrigan was asked about that, the, the college football playoff committee chair, he just talked about how dominant Oregon was. And it's like, yeah, I, it doesn't make any sense. I, I, it doesn't make any sense. Uh, and I could get off on a tangent that would take <laughs> us down a rabbit hole that you don't want any part of. So <laughs> I will, I will leave it at that. But yeah, I, I'm excited about the one thing on, on the 12 team playoff that I cannot wait for playoff games on campuses. Yeah. That is going to be yes. awesome. I, I yes. am so excited about that. Well, and to me, no, a hundred percent. I think that's just going to add so much to the atmosphere, but to me, I like a system that kind of is based on both subjectivity and objectivity, kind of like college basketball. Like there are ways objectively to get in that, you know, you're in the field and then some other ways. Cause I think college isn't the pros college football is not the NFL. It's complete. It's run completely differently, but well, they're getting paid like it now, Jesse. So it is. <laughs> I, I set myself up for that. But I just, I think one, I like the idea of having something that is not completely based on the opinion of a committee. I just, I just, yeah. I like, like Texas, it's going to really hurt. I think if you're a Texas fan and you win this weekend and you finish as a 12 and one champion of the big 12 and you don't get in, or if you don't get in because a team you beat earlier that was probably the signature win of the entire regular season among any team, you don't get put in above them because they started playing better over the second. I, I just, 
Yeah. I'm ready for some objectivity. That's what I'm ready for. And, but when it comes to Oklahoma, like you said, I think the Alamo bowl was probably the most likely outcome, but there are things that could happen this weekend that could shake that up. Absolutely. And I don't think there's anything wrong with making the Alamo bowl, especially if you play a team like Arizona, uh, a good ranked Arizona team. But man, I think if you're an Oklahoma fan capping off the season with a new York six bowl after six and seven last season, yeah, it feels pretty. It feels pretty good. The Peach Bowl against Missouri, or like, yeah, go playing Washington in the Fiesta Bowl or something like that would be a lot of fun. And I think that would be a good thing for for the Sooner Nation. After, you know, I mean, it would help people realize you're ten and two. Like yeah. you're in a New Year's Six Bowl because you had a good season. So like, you know, it's it's easier to tell them that instead of, well, you're going to the Alamo Bowl. Yeah. Like, it just I don't know. It just feels different. So, it does. We shall see, Brian, but again, it's never boring in, in Norman. It's uh, at the very least, it is never boring in Norman, especially the last two years. There's never been a dull moment. This weekend should bring a lot more excitement. Brian, that is going to do for it us here at the Oklahoma Drill. Appreciate everybody tuning in with us every week. As usual, you can find us. Uh, you can find an episode from Brian and I every single week, typically on Thursdays. Uh, anywhere you get your podcasts or over at the OU Insider YouTube channel. If you're not an OU Insider VIP, head on over to OUinsider.com. You will find so much content from Brian and I, from our recruiting guys, Parker and Brandon, you know, basketball season's underway right now. You'll find plenty of content about that from me and Brody. Um, You'll get access to message boards. You'll get access to all kinds of behind the scenes footage that you can really only get over to youinsider.com. But if not, make sure to hit that like, and subscribe button. There's so much content on this YouTube channel that you don't want to miss at the top of that list. Of course, is the Oklahoma drill with Brian and I. Brian, before we leave real quick, do you have a prediction? Big 12 title game. Who wins? Texas 45, Oklahoma State 20. 45, okay. I I think that's I think that's the most likely outcome. But Oklahoma State, as soon as you count them out, they do they do fair, something. Fair enough. They do they do something. But everybody as always, thanks for tuning in. We'll see what happens this weekend and we'll see you guys next week.